Hey guys, well, Merry Christmas. It's great to see you uh, all here. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're going to have a bit of a look at that passage and uh, kind of explore what Christmas is all about. But before we do that, how about I pray and we'll jump in. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I pray that as we look at this passage and as we explore what Christmas is all about, that you would speak to us and that you would help us uh, to really grasp the true meaning of Christmas. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One, one of the things I love about Christmas is generally uh, everyone's happy at this time. I was down at the Macquarie Centre the other day and I saw two people at Woolies and one of them was like, oh, Merry Christmas. And the other one was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Merry Christmas. And it was like this time of joy where two people connected uh, you know, with each other. And it's a time of great joy for most people, great happiness. And for me, when I think of the joy of Christmas, I think back to when I was a kid. Uh, one of the things that we used to do in our family growing up is we used to have these um, kind of Christmas feasts where we used to invite all these different people who may not have family or friends to spend Christmas with, but we invited them around. The beautiful thing was most of these people didn't even know each other. And yet, they kind of uh, got to know each other and they were all full of joy that we were all together. And even though we weren't able to do this uh, with COVID this year, my family wants to do that in the future because we've seen that before in our family. There's so, so much joy. Uh, it was joyous to see my kids open their presents um, and, and then it was kind of joyous to think for them to talk about the presents they want in the future and all that kind of stuff. But, but there's so much joy at a time like this. But a lot of the time, it's temporal joy. It's joy for a, a moment, right? Because so many of us here are going, oh, well, it's going to be a great few days off, but I've got to work. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's today if you're a shift worker, or maybe it's only a few days, or maybe it's a week from now, but you'll be back at work. Christmas joy will be gone. Or maybe it's this afternoon when you're going to your family and you're going to see that family member who makes Christmas awkward all the time. Or maybe it's in a few days where that's happening. And the joy of Christmas is going to evaporate like a mist on a hot day. And yet, the joy of Christmas is not meant to be temporary. It's not meant to be just for a few hours or a few days or even a few weeks. It is actually meant to be an eternal thing. Because the first Christmas was a, a day of great joy, but the, the first Christmas was an event that changes the course of history. And in fact, it's, it's an event which is meant to change your life and bring you not just temporary joy, but joy which stretches into eternity. And so if we grasp the true meaning of Christmas, our lives will be changed for the better. And here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you, if, if the true meaning of Christmas was revealed to you with all its life-changing power, are you going to accept it? Are you going to take it on board? Because today, what we're going to see is John, who wrote this biography of Jesus, you know, this short passage that Michelle read out, is kind of uh, pulling back the curtain on Christmas. And he's asking the question, who is this baby? This baby in a manger, who, who he really is? 
And not only that, he's asking the question, what does it mean for us? And we're going to see that, that the first Christmas can not only change your Christmas now, but your whole life into the future. And what are you going to do with that Christmas? What are you going to do with that baby, Jesus in the manger? We're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see the meaning of Christmas. We're going to see the scandal of Christmas. And we're going to see the invitation of, uh, of Christmas. The meaning of Christmas, the scandal of Christmas, and the invitation, the invitation of Christmas. As I said, this is from one of the, one of the four biographies of Jesus, John's Gospel. And, and he starts off, and here he is talking about Jesus himself in kind of code language. But notice in verse 1, as we look at the meaning of Christmas, what he says about Jesus. Have a look at verse 1 with me. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is saying that Jesus was there even before the beginning. Before the creation of the world, there was Jesus. But did you notice the word, the, the word that he gave John? Uh, sorry, Jesus? He called him the Word. Now think about what words do. Words communicate and they reveal. Why does John call Jesus the Word? Well, there's many reasons, but at least in part he's saying he is God himself trying to reveal who he truly is through Jesus. See, it's a bit like this. Imagine you're at a Christmas party and you look across the room and you see someone, you don't know them, you've never spoken to them. What do you actually know about them? Very little. Very little. You can see what they're wearing, you can see probably what they're eating or drinking and that's about it. But you don't know much about them unless they speak with you. I mean, they could be anyone. I mean, they could be a, a really beautiful person. They could be a person who, who um, you know, is a, just a great moral person, like they're a guitarist and, you know, they're just a great person. Or they could be a terrible person, right? Like they could be an axe murderer or a soccer player. You don't know what they are or what they're like, right? But if they use words to reveal themselves, that's when you get to know them. And think about this, once again, what is God doing in Jesus? He is revealing himself. He's revealing himself to you and to me. Now imagine that person across the room for a second was really good looking and you were single for a second and, and you went up to spoke, uh, spoke to them. Why are you doing that? Isn't it because you want to get to know them, to reveal yourself to them? So you may be able to start a relationship. What is, what is God doing in Jesus as he reveals himself? He's, he's wanting to know you. The God of the universe, the most powerful person in all of the universe, in all of existence, the most important person in all of existence, wants to know you wants to know you in, with all your faults, with all your good parts and bad parts, he wants to know you. He's revealing himself so you could know him. But there's a second part of, part of uh, this verse that's really important. I'm sorry, I have to get a little bit geeky with you. 
The word in the original language that the New Testament was written in for word is a word called logos. And around, around John's day, around John's day, a lot of philosophers were, were saying that the meaning of the universe is this thing called the logos. That was the code word for the, the, the thing that holds the universe together. And if you found, find that, you will find the, the, the true meaning to life. And back in John's day, you had to be really rich or really educated or come from the right family to, find, to, to go on a search to find the Logos, to find the meaning of life. And yet, what John says here is the meaning of life, the Logos, is a person. And therefore, anyone can know a person. And therefore, anyone's life can have meaning. I wonder, if, if, you, were, if you were to be really honest, get really honest with yourself... Does your life have meaning? Or are you just on a rat race at the moment? Are you going, oh, well, I'm not sure what my life is meant to be all about. Well, John is saying here, your life is meant to be about Jesus, knowing him and trusting him. And that's when your life will have meaning. I once met, met a guy and uh, he went to uni, he got a really good mark in the HSC, went to, went to uni, uh, got really good marks in I think a business degree or something like that and got a really great job, high flying corporate job in the city and he made hundreds of thousands of dollars over five years and he invested it all, all this kind of stuff and he had all this money and he was really disenfranchised with life. And so he cashed in all his stocks, got all his money together, and for the next few years, he traveled all around the world trying to find meaning. He tried to find meaning. And then he was told that meaning is within. In fact, he, he, he believed that God was within himself. And yet there was no money at the end of his travels. And he went back and he was couch surfing. He was staying on a friend's couch in Redfern, and he had no money, so, so he went to Centrelink and he was lining up at Redfern Centrelink and he thought, wait up, God shouldn't have to line up at Centrelink. And he kind of went and he, got, he did what he had to do at Centrelink and he was walking away from Centrelink and there was a guy on the street corner who, who was telling people about Jesus and my, and my friend stopped and listened. And over the next half hour he found... The meaning of life is not meant to be found by traveling all around the world and searching for it. The meaning to life is found in Jesus. See, the beautiful thing about Christmas is this, that you don't have to travel, you don't have to take a course, you don't have to do anything except bow your knee to Jesus and you will find meaning in life. The meaning of Christmas is that God reveals himself so that you and I can have meaning in our lives. But, but second of all, there's the scandal of Christmas. Ha have a look at verse 14 with me. And this verse is scandalous, and I hope I can point that out to you. It says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. This Word that is God from verse 1 came and became human. Became human. And this is absolutely scandalous. Think about this. If you are God, would you come down and be born to two illiterate peasant teenagers in a stable in a no-name town in a no-name country 
in the middle of the Middle East 2,000 years ago? I don't think so. Max Licardo, the author, puts it like this. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being born, God had come near. He came, not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused and dirty. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. They're poetic words, but they show the scandal of Christmas, that God would become a baby. God would become a baby. I remember when uh, Kate and I were, were, were pregnant, or well, Kate was pregnant, I was just going along for the ride, I guess, with, with Emma, and we had to go to antenatal classes. And I can remember they showed this, this video, it was, uh, this video of a woman giving birth. And, and there was this person on, 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 the, on the screen who was screaming and everything, and then it turned from the husband to the wife who was giving birth. And there was, oh, it's just really wrong. And then I looked around, and what was interesting, I looked around the whole room, and all the men in the room was just going, oh, man, get us out of here. This is really weird. And then I looked at all the women, and they were like, oh, I can't wait till that happens to me. That's beautiful, right? It's just kind of weird. And yet I was thinking, that's actually how God came into the world. As, as I was, uh, you know, when my, my kids were younger and I was changing a nappy, God had to have his nappy changed. Scandalous. If you don't believe me that it's scandalous, ask a Muslim friend. Say, I, I went to church and, and, you know, the pastor there talked about God becoming a baby. What do you think of that? Our Muslim friends, who we've got great love and respect for, would say that's ridiculous. But that's exactly what the Bible teaches. But this is why it's really important. If God becomes human and lives a life like you, that means in every way he can sympathize with you because he's lived your life. Because he's experienced what you've experienced and therefore he can sympathize with you. See, it's a bit like this. Um, I don't know about you, but I think one of the worst things uh, of the last year, you know, lockdown sucked and everything, but was getting the shots, getting, you know, was it Pfizer, I think? I think I got Pfizer or that kind of thing. And, and did anyone get pericarditis like me? No, you didn't have that fun experience, but I did. But you know what's almost as worse as pericarditis? I came home and uh, I've got two sons, uh, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And one of them, after I got the shot, just punched me in the shoulder. And, and I went, oh, and they were like, oh, what happened? And I said, I just got a shot. It really hurts. And here's what my, my sons did. They said, oh, dad. I'm really sorry, I'll give you a hug. No, no, that's not what they said. They punched me even more. And I was like, why are they doing this? And you're probably saying, well, because they're your son and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. 
But I think it's because that they have never experienced getting a shot and then someone punching them in right where they got the shot. So next time they get a shot, no, I'm joking, I'm not going to do that, right? <laughs> but here's the thing, right? They couldn't sympathize with me because, or have compassion on me because they never experienced that. And yet that's so different from Jesus. Because Jesus, who is God, came down and experienced life just like your life. Maybe you're saying, well, hands in the last year, I've never been more lonely. Well, Jesus went to the cross alone. Some of you guys going, well, hands, I've been abandoned. Well, as Jesus went to the cross, he was abandoned by all his friends. Maybe you're saying, well, hands, you, you don't realize, uh, you know, I was, I was abused. Well, Jesus may not, not have been abused exactly like you, but he was, he was whipped to within an inch of his life. And he was hung naked on a cross. Maybe you're saying, hands, you, uh, you know, I, I've been humiliated. But Jesus being nailed to a cross knows what it's like to be humiliated. Maybe you're saying, well, hands, you, you know, I prayed to God over and over and over again and it seemed like God was not listening. Well, on the cross, Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was no reply. Jesus knows what it's like to live your life in every single way. He knows what it's like to be heartbroken. He knows what it's like to be depressed. He knows what it's like to go through all the things that you've gone through. And therefore, you can cry out to him and love him because he loves you through it. You can ask him why. He invites you to ask him why. He is the God who has great compassion on you. And finally, there's the invitation of Christmas. Have a look at verse 14 again with me. Verse 14 again says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus comes from the Father. Jesus is God in the flesh coming from the Father. But how does He come? He comes with two words. He comes with grace and He comes with truth. And I think that's a great thing. If He only came with truth, we'd be in a, in a horrible mess. Because if we have a look at our world and we have a look at our lives, we've made a mess of a lot of things, haven't we? We, we have rejected the God who created us. And if God was just God of truth, God would have to hold us accountable to those, to those mistakes, to that sin, to, to the ways we've hurt other people. And yet God is a God of grace and truth. That is that God loves you and me even though we don't deserve it. God in Jesus died on the cross taking your punishment even though you and I don't deserve that. It's an undeserved gift. Maybe you're saying, well, heads, I actually don't believe what the Bible says about me and the world. Well, if you don't want to believe me, believe Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck uh, was in a movie called Dogma in the 90s. And he played an angel who, who came out of heaven and kind of rebelled against God. And, and here's what he says about us humans. The humans have besmirched everything bestowed on them. 
They were given paradise. They threw it away. They were given this planet. They destroyed it. They were favored best among all his endeavors and some of them don't even believe he exists. And in spite of it all, he's shown them infinite patience at every turn. I think Ben Affleck's character is right. In every way, we've blown it. I mean, just look at the pollution of our world. But look at the pollution that we bring to our families. For some of you, you guys are going to a Christmas lunch or a Christmas dinner over the next few days that you are not looking forward to because there's so much tension in the room. And you know there's things that you should apologize for that were said maybe a year ago, maybe a decade ago, maybe 20 years ago. But you won't apologize because they won't apologize or they should apologize first. Isn't it funny that even though we're, we're adults, we can still play childish games? And doesn't that show that the sin that Jesus came to die for, to take away, is still residing in our hearts, even at Christmas? The beautiful thing is that Jesus died on the cross for that sin for all our sin. Therefore, he gives us an invitation, an invitation to know and love and serve him and be forgiven for all that and more and to have our lives radically transformed. My question to you today is this. When God comes down and reveals himself to you, when despite all your sin and my sin, he chooses to love you and die for you, inviting you to know him. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to go, well, that's just another Christmas present I can put to one side, or are you going to take that Christmas present? And are you going to accept it? And are you going to live in response to Jesus and find not only the forgiveness that you really need, but the meaning that you are really searching for this Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have given us the, the ability to know you because you revealed yourself to us, that you came in the person of Jesus to know, to know what we go through but also to save us, to be the God of grace and truth. Lord, I pray for those of us here that are searching for meaning, that are searching for forgiveness. For those of us here that, that this last year or this last two years or, or this whole life has been really terrible, Lord, I pray that they would reach out to you, the God who has experienced their pain, who can have compassion on them. I pray that we would all reach out to you knowing that you are the God who loves to forgive out of your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.